Hi, this is Sean Murphy, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. You went to the first Ann Arbor Blues Festival. Tell me what that was like. Oh, well, I... I had no. Once we got booked, I I had no idea what it was all about. Um, the band I was in at the time was was a uh, pretty much rock band, and um, so they had um, they had a thing in in Michigan. To digress a little bit, that all the local bands got to play all the festivals, no matter what they were. Oh. you know, blues, uh, rock. You know, usually not jazz, but. Uh, um, so I was hired to do this, and uh, I walked in, and oh my God, so many incredible talents, you know, from Big Mama Thornton, I got to see her live and in person, uh, Luther Allison, Muddy Waters, um, the King Boys, it just, I mean, the amount of talent on that festival that year was was astounding, and for I'm, I'm sure it was like, what five dollars to get in or or some something ridiculous um they tried to re- revive it uh i think in the next year and it didn't didn't quite take but um it was amazing really really opened my eyes and that's really really where i fair, fell in love with the blues so was was blues in your in your world at all before then i did listen to some um, a lot of my friends had blues records. I, I didn't have an, a turntable even at the time. I was living um, in this little tiny apartment, and I think I paid $25 a month for And that was even with the roaches. So <laughs> I had the blues before I got to the blues. <laughs> but you didn't really grow up listening to the blues. No. My dad, my dad was a big Elvis fan. So he brought uh, a bunch of Elvis records singles home with him on this, you know, little 45 turntable. So that's that's how I got listening to records. And then later on, once I got out on my own, uh, pretty much listened to any kind of radio I could listen to. They, uh, there was not much FM at all then at the time either. So, So tell me how singing came to you. Is that just something... You grew up with was it school was it church? Pretty much. Well, I I always loved singing. My mom and dad both dabbled in um, singing, but not as any kind of profession. Just they liked to sing, and uh, um, I used to go out on my swing set and just sing to the high heavens whatever song I heard on the radio <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I think it was Teresa Brewer and Let Me Go Lover when I was eight. I think. Wow. <laughs> But at what point did you decide that singing is something you wanted to pursue? Well, you know, I got I got interested in, in theater first right. um, in school, and I started doing some plays, and then I started in doing some uh, musicals right. and where I was involved in the singing part of it, and I, I'd really never done that before. So I thought, well, I'm, I, this is a musical, so maybe I better join the choir. So I did everything kind of backwards. and, and um, Did it come easy to you? Yes. Yes, okay. and I was actually a second soprano at the time when I joined the choir, um, and I just really loved it, and I thought, gosh, I wish I could do this more often, so later on when I was probably in 
eleventh, tenth, eleventh grade or something like that. Um, I had a boyfriend that w- played acoustic guitar, so <clears throat> we had a little duo, and um, got a chance to, uh, you know, do some shows in school, you know, right. you know, so stuff like that, but n- nothing professional until I graduated. I, I know you did some acting once you graduated. Um, with Sergeant Pepper and a roadshow, I guess, and, and also hair. Yeah, so- Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club on- band on the road was the entire <laughs> the entire um, title of it, and um, that was after I did hair. Okay. Uh, when I was pregnant at the time, I, I had been in that band where um, I went to the I was in the Ann Arbor Blues Festival and then uh, I got married and I was pregnant at the time and my husband saw this clip in the newspaper that was they were looking for people to come down and audition for hair and so he goes what do you think I said yeah let's go so (laughs) went down there and it turned out that meatloaf um, had done a lot of work. We'd played in different bands together and different festivals together, uh, summer festivals in, in Detroit for a couple of years uh, prior to that. And he'd moved to um, New York, and then he moved to L.A. for a while. And they said he went, he went to try out for the um, show in L.A., and they said, well, it's full, but we're going to open a show in Detroit. Would you be interested in that? And do you know any singers? He goes, yes, I do, but I don't know how to get a hold of her. So um, went to uh, the audition. I walked in, and he turned around. When the door opened, saw me. There she is. (laughs) (laughs) And you went by the name Stoney. Yes, yes. Because I I never thought I was going to do this for a living. You know. So eight years later, I dropped the stone. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that name come from? You know, that was um, a band, some friends of mine, when I lived in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They had a band, and the guy, the singer, went by the name Stoney, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. That's kind of dangerous, yeah. <laughs> so you had no plans of becoming a musician? That Not really. I didn't know what I was going to do, but um, I I started selling a lot of my records, thinking I'm going to move out to Los Angeles. Don't know why, but I just you know was tired of the gloom and the gray skies and everything in Detroit. So I thought that would be a good plan. <laughs> and was it? it? I never got there. Oh. Uh, until seventy. What was it? I want to say. 72, I guess, because when I did get uh, in hair, opening night, the people from Motown came down and saw the show, and although Meatloaf and I had no uh, scenes together, they put us together and asked, you know, do you want to come down and do a record, Stoney and Meatloaf? They thought that was a cool (laughs) title, I guess. So he said, sure, you know. Uh, We went and did this... (sighs) It was pretty bad. It was a pretty bad record with, you know... Did you know it was bad? Well, you know, we they brought in writers, and they weren't really writing for us, per se. They were just throwing songs at us. So they just wanted to cobble this record together, basically. Right. And we recorded it and got released, I think it's 71. And after that, um, Motown had... Sp- 
kind of split up. Uh, Barry Gordy was leaving, and they put Suzanne DePass in uh, as head of the company, and they all wanted to move out to Los Angeles. I thought, here I go, I'm finally getting out there, and they're paying my way. <laughs> so I moved out to L.A., and I had my year-and-a-half-year-old daughter with me. And um, uh, I went out there, and I did a few... Um, they, they sort of let Meatloaf go, um, and they figured they had a, a little more um, leeway with me because uh, I had a bigger range, more more acceptable. I don't know what it was, but anyway, um, I had some uh, um, sessions that... Uh, they put me together with Bob Gaudio and uh, Artie Fields, which were two really big artists, uh, I mean producers and writers a- at the time. So um, they, the first few things they threw at me were, well, you know, Artie just did Helen Reddy, and I just kind of started to cringe. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have, in your mind, did you have an idea of what kind of artist you wanted to be? I... By then, after the whole Ann Arbor Blues Fest, I just wanted to grab you by the throat and shake you with with either my voice or my songs or whatever. Right. And um, I don't think that was going to happen with Helen Reddy's songs. <laughs> so I sat around and I did what they asked me to do, and and that was okay. And and then I sat there and I thought, you know, they're they're just going to make me sit. And I was used to working all the time, so. I called up Punch Andrews, uh, who's Bob Seger's manager, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, you know, I'm tired of sitting around here. What's going on back in Detroit? You know, is there anything shaking? I, I'm, I want to get out there and do something." He goes, "Well, uh, Bob's actually looking for a background singer. Uh, if you're interested in something like that." And I went, "Well, you know, I've never done anything like that, but it doesn't seem too hard. Sign me up." <laughs> Well, so, is is it? I presume it's a different discipline to be a backup. Absolutely singer. is, absolutely, and and certain certain people can't do both. Right. I found with talking to different people, well, you know, I would never be a background singer. Well, that's because you can't. Right. You know, there's a certain, um, like you say, very very disciplined. I mean, it's a it's a it's a vocally choreographed um, style, and a lot of people don't have uh, the will or the determination or anything to want to do that sort of thing. And I've always been really spontaneous and, you know, doing a lot of stuff. So I figured, you know, why not? But at this point, are you still thinking this is not a career thing? This is just what I'm doing right now? I was was getting more into the career thing, you know. Uh, Once we did the uh, Stony and Meatloaf record, I thought, you know what, this is pretty cool, even though I'm not involved in theater, which is really where I wanted to go. Um, This is really um, affording me a lot of opportunities and it's, it's making its presence known to me and I've always been a fateful person. So I figured if this was landing in my lap, this is something I want to explore. So that's what I did, and I packed up my daughter and drove back to uh, Detroit and started working with Bob. And this would have been seventy-three, seventy-four, something like that. Okay, so mm. before Night Moves. Oh yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I worked with him off and on uh, since about 73, 74, uh, till the present. And I did miss 76 and 77 tours. At that point, he was touring every year. Right. Um, so. so in 73, he still hadn't broken out nationally. No. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a buzz about him and being one of the hardest workers in, in the Midwest days. Oh, sure. Um, did but you we, know at that point, I mean, when you saw him? Oh, I knew, I knew something? he was something. You know, I, I, with my band prior to all this, you know, Stony and Meatloaf and Motown stuff, um, my band um, opened for him um, a couple times, and uh, I knew he was something special, you know. And so we, at that time, when I came back t- uh, and worked with him in the early 70s, um, <laughs> we toured Florida a lot. We would go from Michigan dates, we'd drive down maybe an uh, Atlanta date now and again, but we do Florida, came back the same route, back and forth, back and forth. I, week after week, we did the same kind of travel. But Detroit was, I mean, he had a home base there and a decent following there. Oh, yes. Did, did it make sense that he had such a neat following, a, a dedicated following there, and it wasn't really translating to other places. Yeah, that w- that was a bit of a conundrum. I I don't think anybody could figure that out. Um, Punch uh, had a real tight rein on um, the whole s- sis- the Bob Seger system uh, yeah. entity, and uh, he just, you know, the right thing had to come along at the right time. You know, he wasn't gonna let Bob just go willy-nilly into stuff and, and throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. You know, he was never like that. So he he had a big plan going, and, and um, he did Bob justice, I'll yeah, tell yeah. you. <laughs> Still work. does, you know. Okay, so tell me about you joining the band and being becoming a backup singer. Um, what kind of transition was that? How difficult was that for you? Well, there was only one other singer, uh, Marcy Levy right. at that time and she really pulled me along and helped me a lot with that um, always with Bob it was just sort of you sort of absorb stuff and then you know w- what's called for in a song and, and a lot of times we would uh, you know offer you know oh, well, how about this or how about that when I first recorded with him um, it was before this uh, or no, it was right after this, and uh, I recorded uh, backgrounds for uh, Katmandu mm-hmm. uh, with yet another girl uh, that was local in town. Marcy had already moved on, so. But uh, it wasn't. I just sort of fell into it, and I think it was my fortunate stint with uh, choir in high school that did it. It really helped me, being able to hear. Uh, notes and blend and and go to you know different different things like that so it it, it um, really helped along the way but I also wonder like if I listen to music today I know that there's background vocals but it doesn't seem to be the same and and some of the vocals that you've done like when you think about something like Hollywood Nights or Night Moves or mm-hmm. Like a Rock or whatever I mean there's a huge background vocal mm-hmm. section that um plays a huge role in defining the sound of the song. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's there for all the artists. You know, I'm, Bob certainly uses his background vocals a lot, more so than many others, I 
Yeah, I think I think he's come to rely on that texture in mm -hmm. all of his songs. Um, granted, there are a few songs there are no backgrounds, right. you know, but um, he's real fastidious in in uh, and and such a great tunesmith. He just creates these things, and he he's got all this stuff rolling around in his head, you know. And and when he gets into the studio, uh, in the back in the day, he used to. Uh, uh, it was it's more much more of a truncated kind of a th thing session wise uh, and punch used to um, uh, be the producer in a lot of those early uh, things and and so there wasn't that much grandiose you know exp expansion of all the sounds and, and the sonic things that right. went on with Bob's music back then but um, he sort of has that all in place, and of course, uh, when we go in to do uh, some recordings, um, a lot of times uh, Laura Creamer will uh, be like, you know, molding some of the s singers, some of us, into let's try this, and um, but we're all open to um, adding our own own thing as far as that, and we do. We add uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, and Bob will either yay or nay it. Right. And so did being a backup singer, background singer, did that come to you easily? And, and did that, did you feel at home? Like, because you have musical theater, you have your own band, and then all of a sudden to be in this different role, how long did it take for you to feel really comfortable in that? Gosh, one? let me think. Probably about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It, it really felt like home. It, it felt, it felt I was, you know, all this blend and this harmony and, and um, uh, singing along with what the instrumentation, it just, it felt so great, you know, to be able to contribute in that way. So um, I, I was never a stickler for, I, I mean, of course, in the end of the day, I, my place is, uh, you know, being a front person right. in my own band, which I am now, but um, um, I don't have any hesitation with, you know, doing this job as as opposed to doing that job. And I know a lot of people are really, you know, defining you. you you're either a background singer or you're a lead singer and, and n never the twain shall meet, which is not the truth. Look at Luther. Um, right. um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, there, and there's a few more incredible background singers that have stepped out and done... But I done guess there's always that concern that you get labeled and you don't get to step out. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yes. You, and then that, yeah. you're kind of stuck. Yeah. In, in Some people get stuck. And yeah. it's like, you know, with, with acting, you know, you get stuck in a role. And then you can, if you right. do it too well, too long, then you get, you know, nobody wants to hear you do anything else. So, so when, when you... You were involved with the Kathmandu album, and then you, you weren't involved until 77. Mm -hmm. So when you came back, by this time, Bob is huge. Yes. Tell me what that's Great. like to all of a sudden come into this, back into the band, and the band is at a different level. Or are they at a different level? Like, I presume they're at a big different level in, in terms of where they play and the number of people they play right. to. Well, you know, they, uh, they had pretty much finished Live Bullet. Right. And I was uh, still living in Detroit, and I was working in some bands uh, locally, and um, 
Then Charlie Martin's accident happened. The drummer. Yes. Um, which devastated everybody. And of course, I remained friends with so many of the band me members, and they would come into where I was working in a club or whatever and, and commiserate and, and things like that. And, and so um, they were in touch with me a lot. In, the, in those times, um, just trying to get through everything. And then they all went out for the 78 tour. Um, and they were out for a while. And I, I think that's probably when Bob started really listening to the show tapes. You know, he listened to the board tapes and, and just really, you know, make himself crazy about, oh, I don't like this or whatever. I want to change this. And, and um, so he just, he called me up and said, hey, um, you want to come back? I'm going to start using some more singer capabilities in this show. You want to come out? And I said, oh, sure. But, so, uh, so during this time, you're starting to get you trying to get your own career going. Yes. Mm -hmm. So was that a difficult position to to make that decision? Well, everything was pretty much at a standstill at that point. I wasn't. I wasn't actually. I was doing a lot of. Um, um, top 40 bands and stuff like that. I hadn't really gone out uh, fully on my own limb. And uh, so when this happened, I said, yeah, let me, let me just get away from this stuff and concentrate and just reorganize my mind about all this. Um, so we, we went out on the 78 tour and I was singing uh, with him <sighs> a couple months into it. He said, you know, it sounds really good with, with you singing up there. I'm gonna bring somebody else in. I said, that's great. So, um, so it was just the two of you? I mean, you were the only backup singer? Yeah. Okay. And then the guys were singing as well. Right, right. But I think that's what he was listening to. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, love them all. But anyway, um, so one day at Soundcheck, in walks this little tiny girl, Laura Creamer, and... <clears throat> We're doing a sound check, and he says, well, just, you know, wh whatever parts you feel like, whatever you hear. <laughs> and I'd never met her before. I said, look, don't be nervous. I'm going to be behind your back. I'm going to push you up to the microphone when it's time to sing, and I'll pull you back when we're going to stop. And that's what we did, and she was perfect, really, really great. So, um, and worked with her to this day. You know, but like everything else, I mean, if it was anybody you bring in has brings a different sound to it, right? sure. And and what defines the Bob Seger sound is dependent on who he brings in and how they work together. Mm -hmm. So did you know immediately that this was? Oh yeah, thing, right? oh yeah. You know, I I know so many um, singers in this little niche um, that cannot work with other singers or they're at war or they're this or their ego oh it just drives you crazy I mean that it, life is too short to act that way so I was always just kind of laid back and Laura was laid back and um, all we wanted to do was just produce a good sound and that's always how it's been and we've had along the way we've had other singers come in uh, that didn't work out um, Mostly not even because of a um, uh, an ego or just 
a weird vibe or any of that stuff. It just didn't, the blend didn't sound right. right. Um, so it, it finally got, in, two, in 2006, it finally really hit with the three of us. So it's me, Laura Creamer, and Barbara Payton. <clears throat> so. And did you know, like, that this is something completely different? Oh, yeah. Once, once that clicked, that was it. We knew she was going to stay, Barbara was going to stay. <laughs> wow. That must be a neat feeling just to have that. Blast. Oh, yes, it is. It is. And, and every night we tape, we tape ourselves every night. Um, I learned that from Phil Collins because he would tape every night and listen to the board tapes. Um, and to get our blend and sound the way it is, um, it took some work, you know, because we all got, I mean, I, I've got a really loud voice. And Laura's got a, not as loud, but she's so, her frequency is so piercing that it can seem louder than anybody when she sings high. Um, and and Barbara was um, relegated to the bottom parts, um, so um, that was a learning curve for her because she's she's right around where I am usually mid mid voice. So uh, she had to learn to open her chest, <laughs> so sing deep. At this point, you've become a full time member um, in the Bob Seger band. Are you doing anything on your own? Oh, yes. You are. So oh, yes. when you're not on tour, then you're still doing your own thing. I started off um, working with um, different bands, um, doing other background stuff, too. Right, because you um, worked with Yeah, I worked Eric with Clapton the Moody, Eric Clapton uh, for the 86 tour and uh, one little Canadian tour in 88. Um, I worked with the Moody Blues I work with Bruce Hornsby. I work with um, Little Feet for over 15 years. Um, recorded a lot. Re- wrote with them as well. Right, and at that point, you're really more of a lead singer than a backup. Singer. Yes, yes. Um, I remember seeing you in Fredericton. All right. Yes, yes, the yes. Harvest Festival back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there an adjustment going back and forth, becoming a lead singer versus a backup singer? It is. Um, now more so than it has been in the past like for example when i was with little feet i did do some backgrounds and then i would just step out and and do a lead vocal you know throughout the show uh but now it's just me that's it (laughs) you know and 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 having to um relearn how to uh connect with the crowd um Although I was doing it in spurts with Little Feet, now it's just, you know... You mean as a lead singer? As a lead singer. And so now it's, it's like, you know, 100%. You know, you, there's nothing, nothing you can do to lay back on and, and rest or anything. You have to be there 100% and give that 100%. And I, I try to do it every single night. Uh, I, I don't know if you've answered this already, but the fact that you've worked with all these great people like Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, Bruce, Bruce Hornsby, Bob Seger. What is it about what you do that allows you to work with some of the greatest rock musicians of our time? Well, I'm real accurate uh, in what I do. I'm really um, uber concentrated on 
knowing everything uh, before the first rehearsal as much as I can. Um, I've, and that's, that's one of the things that kind of ticks me off in, in this modern group of uh, musicians. Um, the fact that people don't learn their parts before they come to a rehearsal and they think that's the rehearsal is t- the time when you learn everything and it's it's not you know not in not in the big dog area you know so but give me an example um is that like going into more, mainly a live situation or is it more into studio situations that like how do you prepare yourself for these well, for a studio situation, you try to do as much pre-production as you can. Um, with my situation um, in the Sean Murphy band, um, not always have a whole lot of luxury as far as, well, I think I'm going to do this here and that here there. A lot of times we go in and we spend three days cutting all the tracks and I spend three days doing all the lead vocals, the finals. <laughs> so, But do you roll test these beforehand? I'm sorry? Do you road test your material? That's always my plan, and it never has happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Because? Because a lot of times we have, um, and I don't want to blame Bob, because I just love Bob, and I love working with him, and I just wouldn't have given it up for the world, but every time I put out a record, oh, it's time for Bob to tour. So we have to jiggle stuff around, and I've got, um, I just put out my ninth CD, and it's doing really well, but I can't support it, because now Bob is on the road, Um, and God bless him, he he had to take a year off. Uh, We started the tour in 2017, and we didn't get very far, Um, and we had, he had uh, some vertebrae he had to to, um, have a surgery on, and so uh, they gave him two options. One, they could go through the front, uh, which would be less pain and a quicker recovery, or they can go through the back, of course. Nobody wants, you know, any of that business going on by his vocal cords so he went through the back and there was a lot longer recovery period and it it took a year almost to the day uh, before his doctor said go ahead you can go and you're at this point not knowing not knowing anything right okay and of course now they say well if we ask, is there dates here? Is, are we going where? Blah, 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 blah. And, well, look at the website. If it's on the website, it's for sure. <laughs> Nobody tells you anything anymore. <laughs> so my manager uh, is pulling out his hair and trying to trying to work around everything. And and um, it's especially for the last four years, it's been it's been tough to try and get my stuff out there and and support the record all the time we've been trying to do a record every year right. and uh <laughs> can i ask you okay tough. if we just go back a little bit to when you first not when you first joined bob but after you came back let's say 77 78 mm-hmm. that that time from that point on what have you learned as a singer being in this band learning how uh uh even though i'm i've been doing backgrounds uh with Bob, it's a certain honing of your craft that it's a luxury in the the envelope of singing background that you don't always get when you're just thrown out there and, and you're developing front 
artist. Right. Um, you know, you, all your mistakes are right there, and everybody goes, oh, my God, I can't believe she did that. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in, in the package of the background singing, um, you're dealing with, you know, some, some other people, and, and you're, you're sort of clamped in, and you have to do, walk this narrow line, and it's got to be perfect. So um, there's a lot to be learned for a background singer, uh, you know, being and, a background singer. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and, and has it made you a better lead singer? Absolutely has. Yep, absolutely has. And can you, is it easy to quantify that? Like, is it easy to say, I watched them do this, therefore I should try that or... Yep, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just certain things that you see other people doing, like, oh, I don't think I want to do that, or, man, that's so cool, I'm going to try that, you know, or um, there's so much uh, diversity in, in the way backgrounds are put together for different things, you know. Uh, maybe sometimes if you're singing um, a gospel song, you want to kind of what's called shading the note when you're doing in a group and that's actually singing I mean say here's the whole note and and you want to sing in the middle which is the exact center of the note but maybe you want to shade the note you want to go back a little bit and it's not actually flat but it's just sitting on that just that precipice (laughs) you know and it makes it sound a whole different thing and it it's it's so soulful in that way, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of it's almost like a math problem. It's it's bizarre. And it, can you do anything you want? Not anything, but yes, just give me a five bomb box of twenties, and I can do a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, but with, with your voice, is it pretty easy to to go get the note that you want? Pretty much, knock on wood. <laughs> No, because somebody yeah, like can't, you know. You know, like I, I've never had vocal lessons. I've had, uh, I've talked to um, a very knowledgeable man that was in Detroit at the time. He's now passed, but uh, um, he coached Tina Turner and a few of these other people, uh, Stevie uh, Wonder, and he taught me about breath and to think of your lungs as a big bottle, and uh, you want to. Um, have the air set in the all the way to the bottom which is where your diaphragm is and you need to sing from there people that sing here in their throat they'll start to feel warm or hot in that area and that's taxing your vocal cords and that's not good and that's not good for longevity either Um, but singing in that way um, that's really the only Articulation I can give you about what um, a training, uh, a vocalist training would be. Um, I think of things like uh, voice placement. That's what I call it. I don't even know what it is. Where you sing, um, it's loud and it's it seems like a, a full voice, but it's coming out of you know your mask, right. which is you know your nose and the top of your eyes that's where it seems like it's coming out of and then there's there's other things that comes out of your belly um and then there's other things that comes that comes you know around your under jaw which is more ooze and things like that it's 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 fun 
but it's it's intriguing because your body is your instrument. Yes. And how you feel and how you take care of that instrument. Exactly. It changes. And, and how aware are you and how delicate a process is that in terms of you're on the road, you're gone for weeks. How easy is it to maintain a certain level for you? I say you got to be jealous of yourself. I see so many people out there drinking or drugs or, I mean, and this isn't people I work with right now. It's just people that I've worked with since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And sure, when I was just starting out, hey, let's be crazy and let's do soapers or whatever, you know. Um, And then, then you couldn't sing. So it was like I had four years of smoking cigarettes. And I thought, you know, I went from a second soprano to a second tenor. I said, you know, cigarettes are not paying my bills. I'm just going to quit it. And um, I gained about an octave and a half in a year back, thank God. But <clears throat> the whole thing is you don't, uh, you gotta, you got to protect that. And it's a really delicate instrument, you know. I don't laugh too hard. I don't talked real loud um i presume diet is also a diet you know i mean i have a tendency to migraines so there's certain foods that i can't eat you know dang it i can't eat chocolate anymore you know because it gives me a migraine but when you're singing that's horrible it's a horrible (laughs) thing it's a horrible thing i've been relegated to but it's uh um you know, in, in certain instances, what you're going to sing, you don't want to do a lot of dairy because, you know, right. it can coat your throat and uh, give you that Coco Taylor <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. But in my my lead band, in my Sean Murphy band, I, wa- I want to have that Coco Taylor kind of thing. I love Coco Taylor. She's one of my mentors. Um, that and... and get as much sleep as you can and breathe as much as you can you know it's it sounds like an all-day job and it is but it's a job you love so do you ever hate your voice <sighs> somebody mentioned this about musicians and sometimes they hate their instrument but but the, their point was maybe not vocalist because that's their voice but I, I wonder like if you're a guitarist I can see that they might have a bad day and think I don't like my guitar today but do you ever dislike your voice? Oh, yes. In fact, I find it very hard to listen to um, my own singing. Um, it, it's just really the strangest <laughs> thing. You know, so I sort of go recording. on everybody else. You like it, then it must be good. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly when you're recording, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, and I have so little time when I'm actually in the, the booth doing that and and I sometimes if I don't relax I'll I'll get like this clamping feeling in my neck and that's one of the worst things you can do you know for me singing in a room with 10,000 people is much more relaxing than I would be singing in front of you really oh yes a lot of people get me trying to trying to get me to do house concerts Oh, no. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> That's a terrifying thing, and I'll, I know I'll, I clamp up, and I don't give my best. Right. 
So um, I, I, I did experience that when I was with Little Feet and we played this place in Amagansett. I don't even remember the name of it. I'm sure there's only one, but it seats 75 people. And the stage is about this high off the floor, uh, which is about, what, six inches? Right. And, um, and then the tables come right up there. And the people are looking up your nose, and, and I just, I would clamp up, and I would actually, when it was uh, a song that I was doing a solo on, I would actually back up by the drums and sing it, just to give myself that extra <laughs> psychic space. <laughs> well, tell me about the Little Feet. How did that Little Feet gig happen? Bob Seger, uh, 1986, he felt like he was going to do a farewell tour but he never said that said the words but he was going to do this farewell tour and because that was a time when he was going to raise his kids right. you know <clears throat> so anyway uh he said you know what i i've had these people on my records but they've never been out on the road with me and little feet wasn't really for reformed they had they had split up in 79 when lowell passed right. and they've all been sort of scattered doing their own thing um and so he'd use Bill Payne a lot and Fred Tackett. Uh, so he called him up and said, look, we're going to do this tour. Do um, you want to come and, and uh, go on the road with us? And so they came out on the road, and we all had a good time. And at the end of that tour, um, they had some interest in... Um, well, I, I think actually what it was was they... Feet got contacted by... Um, this gentleman that had one of these famous uh, rehearsal halls in in Hollywood area, and they were going to dedicate a room to Lowell, and they wanted to know if if Little Feet would come and play the dedication. So they, mm, yeah, okay. So they went down and they did the thing, and and it felt so good that they said, you know what, let's get to be back together and and uh, do a record. So they contacted. Um, cl um, Craig Fuller at the time, who had just left Pure Prairie League, and he was put in Lowell's place, and uh, they put the record out, um, and when they they were doing the final touches, uh, they called Bob up and said, hey, you want to come down and do some backgrounds, uh, and maybe Sean Murphy can, can come in and do some backgrounds. So we went down and, and did some things, and I made the cut and Bob didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't use that song. But anyway, um, so uh, then I went on to do um, some backgrounds on the next two records. And then Craig Fuller said, look, I had no idea this thing was going to develop into this, you know, we're touring every year and all these things. I just have a new wife and new you know, young kids, he said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. So <clears throat> they were preparing to do yet another record uh, called Ain't Had Enough Fun, and um, they called me in to do some backgrounds, and, and they were right in the middle of uh, record companies. So they were doing a lot of recording at, at Paul Barrere's house. So they had me come over. I lived not too far from Paul at the time. Um, you know, did, worked on some backgrounds and this and that, and, and they came to me with this one song, and I said, why don't you take this home and, um, you know, check it out and come back and sing lead on it. Um, and I, all of a sudden, the, the name of the song just 
escapes me. But anyway, um, I came back, did the song, um, and then we proceeded to do some more work, blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the end of that day, they said, look, what would you think if you found yourself in the middle of nowhere on a bus with, with seven other guys? That's how they <laughs> asked me to join. <laughs> and what oh. did you think? <laughs> I said, sure, why not? <laughs> So I joined the band, and uh, in 93, we finished the record and started touring, and I think the record came out in 94, but started touring right away. So, you know, you're connected to two of America's really finest bands, which is pretty amazing, and I don't know if you look at it that way, but, you know, do you both... See, if I'd look at it that way, I would have gotten scared. Really? I don't want to do that. (laughs) I just look at it, 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 it close up. <laughs> I'm not so scared if I look at the big picture. <laughs> but when you work at that level, um, like a Bob Seger tour or a Little Feet tour, I mean, you're talking playing to thousands mm-hmm. and playing iconic songs. And, and that must be just, that must be such an amazing feeling. It really is. And, and, um, Getting a chance to actually record uh, on on those songs and then reproducing it live is uh, and hearing it all back. I mean, when we did um, Nine Tonight, that was uh, uh, probably the last live record that he's done. Right. So uh, at that point, I was actually that was one of the the tours that Laura missed. So I had two other friends of mine, and so I was singing top at the time, which when she came back into the fold, I said, oh, thank God. I'm too tired to sing this high. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I sang all the, the top parts uh, on that record. Um, but it's, it, it was so thrilling to, to hear it live on record. You know, I don't think there was, maybe it was on cassette too I don't think there were any (laughs) CDs at the time (laughs) well is there a chance that there will be a live album I mean Bob is known for his live performances oh yes so if this is really the final tour is there a chance of a live album or don't know Uh, he's been recording every single night for the past geez three or four tours Um, so there is a lot of footage and of course of course Bob has holds the record still at Capitol Records for having the most finished uh, tracks in their vault of anybody. So he could have records released, you know, 10 years after he's been gone, you know? So I don't know. I don't think he'll ever stop recording. I don't know. I think, you know, he really is looking to say this is, is the final tour. Um, of course, there's always rumors, and who knows where those rumors come from, so I don't even entertain those until um, they actually, if I see them on the website. <laughs> but, so tell me what that means to you. You're involved in this tour. You've been with the band on and off for 46 years, mm-hmm. so that's like an, an amazing relationship. That The core band has been together for a, a long time, but what does it mean to you personally about this being possibly the last tour with them? We're not talking about that right now. Really? Nobody mentions it? We mention it all the time. And, of course, Bob says, oh, you know, we're down to three shows. Okay. You know, this is my final tour. And he says that a couple times during the set. And we're all going, ooh, <laughs> kind of clench up. But um, 
we can't think about that thing. We have to we have to give the audience 100% every night. So uh, last night, for example, we played in Boston, which is one of the best audiences in the country. One of, I should say. Yeah, well, I I've already Detroit. gotten flack from the Detroit audiences on this. Well, I they posted. just do like a, I mean, in the last section of the tour, didn't you finish seven days or something in Detroit? Oh, in Detroit, yeah. yes, over the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it it we a lot of people thought the Detroit shows were going to be the last shows, and then all of a sudden, he mm. you know, he listed some more dates, and now at the end of this, I think people are actually thinking, well, any day now there are going to be some more dates. Well, I was surprised that he didn't come to Toronto last time, because I thought, well, yeah, we I, haven't been here since uh, 2015, was it? The ride out. I think tour, so. Yeah. 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 So um, we always love to can- come to Canada. We did come to do some Canadian dates, but I think we missed Toronto that, right. on that tour, the last tour. Um, yeah, because we, we went out to um, uh, Vancouver and a couple other cities. That was it. So do you approach, I know you're not supposed to be thinking about it or talking about it, but <laughs> do you approach things differently because it's, this could be the last ride? the last hurrah with this band? Not really, um, because if we thought in those terms, it would be too overwhelming. Like last night, you know, I'm I'm always stay the course, stay the course, stay the course, you know, be here now, as Alan Watts would say. <laughs> um, I kind of faltered on the last notes of Famous Final Scene. When he pulled uh, pulled in famous final scene in some of the early rehearsals before the tour started, we thought, "Oh God, we'll never live through this." You know, he's <laughs> going to do that song, song. We're all going to fall apart. <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, that last ooh at the very end of the song, I went, "Oh God, here it comes, here it comes," and I had to really shake myself to to get it together for that second. I can imagine. So, Toronto and then New York, and that's maybe... And Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Is and so the la- that's the yeah. last... <laughs> Philadelphia's the last one. Wow. Yep. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be tough. It is. It is. But, you know, for me, it's a dichotomy because it's really tough, and this has been my family for so many decades, Um but yet, I'm also thrilled because now I've got that runway and I can just really get in there. My manager's already, you know, sending out feelers for booking things. And, and up to this moment, we really haven't had the authority to do any of that because we never knew. Right. We could never get any information. So we're just going to go for it. So you've done nine albums. Do you have goals at this point? Do you have, like, personal goals or... Um, career goals in terms of your career? I want to see what's going to happen because I haven't had the opportunity because of the back and forth thing uh, since I started my solo, started back up my solo career to actually have the time and space 
to pursue it and 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 work the record and be out there doing festivals and things you know I've done the the odd festival here and there and always had a great time and great reception um and then something would happen and Bob would do something (laughs) (laughs) but not a bad not a bad no no not a bad offset at all not a bad offset but um but I am I'm getting really pumped to do you know after this is over then I'm just you know if I, I could start my festival tour uh, two weeks from now I'd do it my band is like ch- chomping at the bit you know they're all scattered all over Nashville doing other things but they're all really waiting to do this so I'm happy to oblige can I ask you why you moved to Nashville I originally moved there because it was an industry town because I wanted to be one day drive from my daughter who lives in Florida and my parents uh, who live in, still live in, in Detroit area and my mom was very ill for a long time. Um, and so as it turned out, she passed while I was out on the road with Little Feet so oh. I still wasn't one day drive. I, right. I, I, you know, miss seeing her those last days, and we were very, very close, always. So, but that's really why I moved to Nashville. That, and I had been called there to do uh, some sessions by another friend of mine, uh, George Marinelli, um, who I'd worked with with Bruce Hornsby. He was a guitar player. And I thought, this is a great town. Everybody's so friendly. Yeah, let's move there. And I'm in, I'm in, um, you know, Los Angeles, and they're not so friendly here. (laughs) (laughs) And the traffic, oh, my God. (laughs) I used to panic when I'd be at rehearsal, um, and I was staying at some friends of mine, which was in El Segundo, and 3 o'clock would come, and I'd say, I got to go, guys. You know, it's three o'clock, the traffic. <laughs> so a 45-minute drive would sometimes take me three hours. Right. Yeah, it's totally unpredictable. Right? Yeah. Um, what's the greatest thing you've learned from this experience of being in playing music? It just, it just fills my soul. Um, ooh, I'm getting chills just thinking about it it just it means everything it just means everything did you ever doubt it at any point like you've had so much success and you've worked with so many great people but was there any point where you questioned what you're doing or found music very difficult no never no matter what I did I loved every minute of it no matter who I was working with um Ah, you know, there might have been one or two along the way that I wasn't really enjoying. <laughs> We're not going to talk no. about that. <laughs> but um, it was always a learning experience. Every single day, I learned something. And it just, those little teeny pieces just kept building in me. And um, I'm just, I'm feeling so ready to uh, finish out. I, I will be recording and singing until I drop dead, frankly. I don't I don't plan on retiring ever. Well that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. That you're on tour. I know you're very busy. You just got into town. I really appreciate you sitting down. It's been so great to finally talk to you and <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs>